A random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter, what are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Eddie Wilson. Peter Melnick is MIA, AWOL, something like that. He's not here. We're doing something special right now as we introduce something new in the world of comics. But first, how you can reach us on them, our social medias, Facebook.com, Twitter, Instagram, all at The Marvelists. And you can find us on Spotify, Podbean, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. If there's an RSS feed, we're there, so check us out. Also, don't forget about the Fantastic Voyage. If you sign up for our Patreon for as little as $3 a month, you get extra content, and that's good, and at least 24 hours access to the latest episode of Fantastic Voyage, where we, one by one, tackle 102-plus issues of the Fantastic Four run with Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Let's get to the phone right now. want to welcome in creators, contributors, at the very least, to a comic called Slow City Blues. And from what I saw, it's not just for kids. First of all, let's welcome in writer Sam Hain. Sam, welcome. Thank you for having us. And among other things, inker and finisher John Levesay. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Okay, hopefully I will still correct, get it correct and not... Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it can happen. It can be messed up along the way. All right, so... We've got a first issue out here of Slow City Blues. Um, let's start maybe with Sam in terms of how did this come about and perhaps your comic uh, upbringing to get it started yeah. to where we are you know, now. Yeah, uh, well, all five issues are actually out today, so they can get the whole first story arc, not just the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it came about a lot of ways, uh, how other things come about. Being told no, I almost got hired at a video game company and almost being the key word and being a kid in his early 20s with a chip on my shoulder, you know, 10 years ago, it was, I'll show you, I'll show the world, I'll do my own comic book. And I, you know, I, I grew up loving X-Men. I always would call uh, Logan Mulverine because I couldn't pronounce my W. Okay. Uh, there's this horribly embarrassing fo- giant photo that my mom has of, me standing in a kiddie pool with my superwear underwear on backwards so everyone could see the Superman. Uh, I'm sharing way too much right now. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I loved the Dresden Files, the novel series. I loved Fables uh, by Bill Willingham. I loved Big B. Wolf. That was actually the video game that I almost got hired for. Uh, and then one day I was, I was broke. I was a waiter. I was on food stamps. Uh, and my brain kind of opened up and outplopped this very rough shot idea that, you know, with the first iteration of Slow City Blues, it's like, oh, well, what if a detective was trapped in his imagination? And so I saved up money to get the first handful of pages commissioned, and I brought them to my friend, who's now my producing partner, because uh, I live in L.A., so I come from a TV and film writing background, and I didn't really know about writing comics. So I showed him, and he goes, oh, this looks pretty cool, but it's, let me go ask somebody. And I was like, I need this. It has to be a comic. This has to be a comic. 
And the one person that Mike knew was John, and John, you know, speak for, I won't put any words in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, so I got, Sam and I did a phone call. Mike got us in touch, and, you know, we talked for a while, and we kind of hit it off. So he sent me this story, and I read it, and I knew it was good. I just, you know, I just needed more confirmation. So I sent it over to a friend of mine, and... You know, I got the okay, and so we just kind of just kept the ball rolling. And Sam and I just had countless phone calls of going over it and going over it and getting, you know, getting the story dialed in, and then we had to have the monumental task of finding an artist for the book, and that took a long time. And originally, I was not going to do any of the artwork at all. But in the time frame it took to get an artist or a pencil on board, it just came down. I was like, look, I'll just do the inks myself instead of putting some poor person through my constant critiquing of what they might be doing. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to put anyone through that. So, um, yeah. And we just, you know, it took a while and we lucked out that we got Sean Mall on pencils and he and I, you know, really clicked and we just kept chugging along. We brought on colorist David Barron, who is amazing. And he's, you know, was gracious enough to fit us in the schedule. And, um, I already had known about our letter and production, Thomas Maurer, and uh, through a good friend of mine who gave him a very high recommendation. He's been great. And we just kept going. It was a lot, a lot, a lot of pages and a lot, a lot, a lot of line work. But, you know, in the end, I think we had a, a little, little bit of a different look for a book compared to a lot of the other uh, books coming out. And it's a little different for me. It's not the regular, you know, a guy in a cape and boots and his underwear, you know, on his costume, and they're punching and flying around. So it's a very different thing for me. So I was able to do some different rendering, and some of it's a little slightly cartoony, which is something different for me, which is cool. Yeah, well, at the outset, our uh, main character that you're telling me about, it looks like from what I just read briefly through before we started recording, is uh, it looks like an everyman, the way he's, his appearance, short mm-hmm. haircut, you know, having a beer at the bar, that kind of thing. We'll, we'll get into that. And I know things are different nowadays where you don't have to be in geographically close areas. The people that you're working with, like you said, John and Sean and so on. Now, I know you said the two of you are both in Southern California, and I wasn't sure if that was any proximity to where you are or you're working, you know, at distances, of course, considering the times that we're in and how much of a factor that has helped or or not so much helped. You know what? We're in the 21st century. That stuff's not a problem whatsoever. You can, like, Weirdly enough, Sam, myself, and the colorist David, we don't really live that far from each other, which was neat, but like Sean lives on the other side of the country, and Thomas is on the whole other side of the globe. Germany. Yeah, he's in Germany, and it was just different time slots where we would hear from them. So, you know, everything worked out. It's very easy, and Sean and I did the old school way. Like, none none of the artwork was you know, the pencils and inks were not done digital. So Sean would pencil on the board. He'd get get 10 or 20 boards done. He'd mail them to me, and then I would I still ink everything by hand. So I use a dip quill and, like, a bottle of ink. So you had that multi-talentedness about you should you need to employ both, you know, whether it was before something like this or now with Slow City Blues. But we got Sean to do the pencils and then David for the colors. Mm-hmm. Let me go to John for a minute here and ask how, you know, your upbringing and what brought you to this project. Well, I've been I've been a professional comic book artist since 1993, and I've worked for 
everybody, every big company, I've worked in every big title, and I've been very fortunate to have a long career and work with some of the biggest and best pencilers and writers and colorists and everything in the industry forever. So I kind of hadn't put too much thought into doing a creator-owned book because I was getting, you know, Spider-Man books and Batman books and all this other stuff and just, you know, continuously working on that. But this, it came up at the right time and it was so neat and with this so many unique characters that I could have a good time rendering and, you know, putting down the line work that I really enjoy doing and hoping other people will too. It just was really, it was just the right time. It was just kismet the way everything just kind of fell together. And then the rest of the team came in and then with all my homework I did on acquiring like the ridiculous great amount of cover artists we have to do these covers, you know, it all just kind of fell into place. And we've got this like amazing project that everybody should dig. Like there's, there's so much good stuff. There can't, there wouldn't be something somebody would like. I was very specific on, like, cause we all know fans of comics are very picky in particular about what kind of artwork they like. So I wanted to make sure there's something for everybody. And with the title to borrow, I would think, and it's a common phrase that we've heard in music more than anything else is what it's reminded me of, the times they are changing. It's broken yeah. down into five parts. You said they're all out now. Yeah. And let's get uh, just a basic rough idea of what we're looking at, because I'll tell you what I thought of uh, maybe after you get into the, into a little bit of the a brief rundown of what this is. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's pulled from the Dylan song, right? And I think it's about growth and rebirth and moving, you know, moving forward or Rolling Stone gathers no moss. And that's kind of what this is. It's the, it serves as the inciting incident for the whole series. And so the elevator pitch for the first story is after a horrible accident, a disgraced detective winds up trapped in his own imagination. He and his partner, uh, a six foot six smart Alex skunk, has to race to solve a gruesome double homicide before a gang war breaks out and threatens to destroy Slow City. Gotcha. And that's, so that's the name of Slow City. It could take place. Well, it's taking place in our main character's imagination. And yes, uh, yep. I was going to ask about the uh, the skunk guy with the red suspenders. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's... Uh, I call him the clever to John Loris's smart. You know, he's the one who's the Greek chorus. He's the dark conscience. He's, you know, he's the one who calls it like it is. What's the old uh, Hunter S. Thompson quote? It's like, don't take any guff from those swine. Okay. Like, Move very much is the one who does not take any guff. For your part, John, what would you say um, influenced the tone or other things maybe that influenced this coming to this coming to fruition? You mean, like, what was some of the influences I used in, like, coming up with, like, the look? Yeah. Well... I was kind of like back and forth on certain things. And, you know, since I've worked over so many guys, I just kind of have a big mishmash of different styles I've been accustomed to and worked over. But I'm very much into the very heavily rendered stuff. And I seem to have a lot more fun doing a lot, a lot, a lot of detail. And although it is nice to get a random piece that is just shapes, it's not a thousand lines, but I do have a lot more um, joy out of just really doing everything different. And I got to do that in this. Like every page is rendered to the gills, and I wanted to make sure every character, which there are a lot, a lot, a lot of different characters in the story, 
had a different specific look. And even, I think the one thing I really went back back on was uh, when I was at Top Cow, I, I was there like inking like full time for like five years back in, in their heyday. And, you know, the amazing Mark Silvestri was there and I was lucky enough to work over him quite a bit, which there's no reason in the world why I was ready to do it at the time. But they still let me do it. And Mark, the way he renders certain things, and I tried to do that the way I rendered our main character's hair. Like I was very, I was looking at a lot of the Xeroxes I had of Mark's stuff. And even though it is not exactly like that, I like that wispiness that Mark would do with his lines. So I wanted to kind of incorporate that here and there. And then I had other things that it's just like all my favorite guys that I've worked with in the past. It's kind of just like a whole mix of what I've seen and done over the years and then just kind of doing it slightly different now with all the characters. And especially with Moof, as you just mentioned, it took me a while to really see how he's going to render out his short, coarse fur. And then, you know, it just hit me one night and I did it and I was like, that's it. And I just, I made sure it was a specific nib I had and I put it in a yellow holder, a yellow holder that I, and I just made sure that was the same one I used for everything. And, you know, I wanted to make sure consistency was my big, big thing. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I didn't want to have the character all of a sudden look different from issue two and three or whatever. I wanted to make sure, like, if I nailed that look down, that it was going to be very consistent through the entire five issues. Well, John, i got to tell you, right from the beginning, looking at what I'm seeing through my phone on the uh, first issue, it grabs your attention right away. There's an inset of the character's face, half the face, whatever, and yep. uh, mostly black and white, uh, except for a, a big red blood splot yes. on the back wall and maybe the hands of the grandfather clock in yellow. So right away, it's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And I don't know how you <laughs> want to, you know, set us up for what you're initially seeing, what that's supposed to, you uh, know, set you up for. Sam's attention grabber, just like you said. Yeah. Right? We, we want to grab you by the short and curlies and just drag you down into this crazy roller coaster acid trip and then i i think there's we give you the tonal whiplash in the best sense from that page turn from one to two and three mm-hmm. and so and, it really sets up it gives us a lot without saying anything so you kind of understand where we're at uh, or at least the, the base setup of it mm-hmm. and yeah. then it creates a a great juxtaposition. It's funny you said grab you by the short and curly because a little further in, of course, some of the dialogue I see something about the pubes. And I'm like, oh my. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a mature book for teens and plus. Yeah. I can say that because we're not in diamonds. So I can say yeah. whatever age. What the heck is teen plus? Like 16 and over? I don't know. I think it's like, I yeah. think it's so 14. Like no, no I think nipples, it's 14 no and up. Dongs, no Excessive f bombs, right? But I, I think you can. It's like young adult for novels, or it's like you can get away with some stuff. But yeah, I think it's kind of almost like what PG thirteen used to be. Okay, right, because it reminds me of two some comics that say, or, or some TV shows that say, I don't know, YA seven, so young adult seven yeah. and up, or mm-hmm. I, you know. But this is not there. Side note, also, you've got to be the first person in any of the Marvelous podcasts that I can recall that talks about, and I don't mean this in a bad way, Top Cow. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have some Top Cow stuff. I have Top Cow with Marvel. I have them mixed with maybe Image, some other comic book companies. I'm like, oh, wow, first Top Cow. Well, Top Cow had that really super cool crossover they did in 97 with them with the, you know, 
Witchblade, Wolverine, and yep. Psylocke, um, Electra, and, and I, I, ironically, I worked on a number of those pages, and Wait I did a, a big chunk. We're talking about Devil's Reign. Yes. Yes. Exactly. You know how long it took me to assemble those issues? Oh my God. It was super easy <laughs> for me because they just sent them to me. Well, <sighs> when you, it's easy <laughs> when you right, know braggart. when you know somebody or work for the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding, but yeah, I did a, a majority of that Wizard half. Giveaway the Silver Surfer Witchblade one. Right, okay. I did like a, a massive chunk of that shoot, but I had just, I literally just showed up in California that week. I, I moved here, I moved there from Detroit, and then I, in, within three days of me living here, I started helping out on panels for whatever the Dave Finch issue was. I think it might have been the Psyblade Electra one, I think, but I started helping out on panels right then, and then I jumped into doing that the i think the final part of the thing was that little wizard half issue and real quick too because mm. as i was going along i happened to stumble across one of those issues i think it ran for what eight and not including the uh, the prequel i think it was or, or the zero issue if memory mm. serves that would be pretty much a whole self-contained story i believe so you know i don't remember i don't know if they ever collect that in a trade because i remember back in the day like in the very beginning the image trades they didn't, I don't know, they were a little spotty trying to find them. I know they're not easy to find right now, but I have no idea if they collect that in the trade. They should have, but I don't know, because they had all that amazing old Michael, when Michael Turner was drawing Wolverine, it was incredible. Yeah, from what I'd or, seen just but, from flipping through and stuff, and, and I have to admit, I'm not ashamed to say, although I am ashamed at the same time, it's one of the many thousands of comics I have yet to read. Collecting is only half yeah. the battle, you know? <laughs> yeah, you only have so much, and... I just rebought, like I just got in the mail two days ago. I have so many boxes, and I've been losing track of where stuff is, and I couldn't find a handful of my old Wildcats issues. So I oh. just randomly found a super cheap set on eBay, and I was like, screw it. It's going to be easier for me to spend $10 than me to spend an hour looking through these boxes. So. Yeah, that's right. All right, so we're looking at several pictures as we go through the issue of just characters, it looks like, and multiple different type characters looking, physicalities, et cetera. Mm-hmm. before we get into the, the beginning dialogue and so on. And I'm guessing, I'm not the only one to possibly say this, but I got the sense of, that's why I asked about an influence about Star Wars, the cantina, and all the different characters and what they look like. Yeah. What do you say to, to something like that? Or unless I am the first one to say, hey, I'm getting a Star Wars vibe here. Oh, no, I, I think someone that said that, and John brought that up, I just feel like that's such a great opening scene or establishing scene, right? Where you always have that, bar, cantina scene, you get to see that microcosm of the underbelly of the world of what it really is, you know, at a dive bar or a cantina, uh, and it just sets itself up for tension and, and candidness, right, because there's, there's booze, so inherently, even if it's in a comic book, even if it's in an imagination, you know that there's an energy in the setting itself. Let me also throw a couple of other characters in here that you do some close-ups on, so to speak. Yeah. One would be the girl waitress with the bunny ears and tail and the fishnets. Mm-hmm. So hubba hubba. I'm sorry. I'm a sucker. <laughs> I'm a sucker for fishnets. And then we have the, I would assume, African-American uh, bartender, bearded lady type there. Uh, visual, if nothing Ethnically else. Ethnically ambiguous, yeah. Yeah, we right. To, we wanted to give Rita, uh, that's the bartender's name. Okay. Uh, we just wanted to... All types, all everything, you know, anything and everything's in there. Yeah, and then for for what I could, I guess, is the uh, are the bad guys 
are the tall flytrap gang. Green Venus flytrap gang, yeah, essentially. Yeah, that was yeah. the. Uh, I think it's it's a great primary foil to John. You definitely see, and this is writer talk here. It's a great setup for the old save the cat mentality, right? That Scott Field. I'm not. Uh, that's not the right. But save the book. Save the cat. The book. Sid Field. There it is. Oh, okay. Immediately, you know who this character is, and like you said, he's the everyman, and we wanted to give him that Indiana Jones, John McClane kind of feel. He gets his butt kicked all over the place mm-hmm. and barely pulls it out by the skin of his teeth. Right, exactly. With respect to two things, one being we get down to, I'm on page 27, which is where the credits are, Slow City Blues again, the title, the times they are changing, part one of five, and all your names are there. And then we go to, I guess, another shorter story. Yeah, it gives us a break in between, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, it's the cutaway. We're not going to do many cutaways because there's only three ways you can really tell a detective story. So we're doing the the audience knows, but the detectives may not know yet. Uh, and so it just gives us that break into it. And that in and of itself is the inciting incident. So we get the setup of the world and who these characters are, who our protagonists are. And then we get to see the the case kind of kick off in earnest. Okay, yeah, that, that kind of helps, because what I'm seeing here is, of course, another startling scene of the first, uh, after the credits going on there, too. Let's leave the mm-hmm. two creatures just like that, and I won't say yeah. any more. <laughs> and, and, then the la- and then the last couple of panels, we have our main character back at his place, and he crashes on his bed, essentially. Yep. See where he is emotionally, right? And it's a good reflection. Your home is a reflection of who you are. So we thought mm-hmm. that that was important to show that. Right. If it wasn't already obvious. Yeah, no, more character development. It's great to see that. Yeah. It definitely rounds out the personality if you didn't get it from any dialogue or what the uh, emotional expression is on his face. Now, with respect, since I haven't been much of a digital comic person to be exposed to, read, etc., the rest of these four parts, are they equal length without getting too much uh, into it, Sam? No, it's totally fine. We weren't hemmed in. Uh, I think the only hemming in as far as page length goes, is when I would call John up, or I'd call Sean, and he would go, you can't do this, page." And i go, well, why not? And he goes, this is 50 panels. You yeah. can't have him do the whole Macarena. Like, oh, okay, that'll be like nine pages, right? So at least I'd call John and go, I'm going to add nine pages to this. He goes, no, you're not. We have a budget. I'm like, oh, all right, I'll, <laughs> I'll figure it out. I'll hang up, and I'll call him back. I'm like, I got it down to three. He goes, how about get it down to two? Like, all right, I'll figure it out, and I'll hang up, and we'll figure it out but the first issue is oversized the second issue is double size three and four are 26 24 26, no, 28 I... and then the fifth one is over 30 it just depends on like fractal theory dictates it. like you want to tell a whole act a whole motion a whole satisfying piece within every issue and that definitely was like something i got hammered into my brain by jim where it was like clarity 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 Tell a satisfying story. Don't do this. This like neo deconstructionist where you slow play everything. It's like you can have things be paced out properly, but don't be a dick. You know, <laughs> give them the good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're definitely you are for sure getting your money's worth with the amount that we put in for all the oversized issues. And like you know, if whoever looks at the campaign today with the the early bird specials they're doing, they are getting more than their money's worth for having a hope you can get all five issues at once. So you get the whole story, you know, there's no waiting, there's no 
trying to do a campaign per issue. So you're getting everything and, you know, you're getting a lot. Well, with respect to now the whole compilation and we'll get into how, you know, people can get a hold of it. When we get to, and again, not trying to spoil anything, when we get to the end of this, is it a neat little conclusion tie-up or could it possibly lead to something else, maybe with some other characters? At the end of issue five, you get a whole complete tied-up narrative, but if people like this and dig it, we, we leave things open for the next story arc, which I've already written. Yeah. <laughs> so there, so we're ready to go if people lo- love it. But you're getting a whole complete story because, again, it's the whole, like I said before, don't be a dick and give them the goods, you know? That's why we wanted to give everybody all five issues all at once. Right. And like you said, you've written the next arc. Would that also be another five? Uh, that one, I think my hubris got a little bit a hold of me or my overzealousness, and we really widen out the world and we get a lot deeper into the backstory and the mythos of everything. So it's probably like 12 or 15. Mm. Yeah. Real quick note on the side I meant to mention, because when I first pulled up the uh, page with the credits, I'm like, Samuel Hain. Wait a minute. Yeah. That sounds familiar. <gasps> Sam Hain? There it is. Yeah. <laughs> you, and you, I know you've heard that before. I mean, that's Halloween yeah. right from the beginning. Yeah. It was either going to be that or uh, what's that old SNL skit, David S. Pumpkins. Was it? <laughs> so uh, I don't have the Jack O' Lantern too. I'll just go with just go with the, my name. Okay, well that's just a. I don't know if you want to call it a happy coincidence or just like <laughs> wait a minute, there's a parallel here. And so yes, I'm not yeah. the only one to say that. Okay, but I'm a Halloween guy as well as a comic book guy. Yes. So where and how can we get Slow City Blues? You can get it today at. Zoop.gg, or We Are Zoop, or on any one of our many social medias, all the links are in the bio, uh, or any of the rest of the press that you may see floating around, not unlike this one. Yeah, and that, like you said, is Zook, is that Z-U-K-E? Uh, Z-O-O-P. Z-O-O-P, Zoop. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, Zoop. Excellent. How long in the works before we wrap it up was this to get to this point, would you say? Almost a decade. There's yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of ups and downs. It's been a long road, but we're really happy and excited to be able to finally share this with everybody. I think everyone's going to really dig it. Okay, again, it's called Slow City Blues. The times they are a-changing. Sam Hain, our writer, and the inker and finisher, John Levesay, although just Levesay in the credits, but that works. Share. It, it does. I mean... No one else has my last name, so it stands out. It sure does, absolutely. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Lots of luck on this, and thanks for being a guest on The Marvelists. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate that. Excelsior! Oh, yeah, and for The Marvelists, I'm Eddie Wilson.